Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A.D. or 1600 or in any time of history that we've been able to have records of or know about, there have been great battles that have been fought for the defense and the freedom of mankind. But the greatest battle that was ever fought was in the year A.D. 33. On the Passover that day, when the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, climbed on an old rugged cross and there died that we might have the possibility of the forgiveness of sin. During the battle for Europe in the 17th century, when Lord Trafalgar was leading the army of Europe, against Napoleon there were two lieutenants that were under his command that did not get along they didn't think anything alike they weren't raised alike they have different pedigree as far as standing and station and they had pivotal points that they had to lead in this battle against Napoleon The story goes that Lord Trafalgar visited their tent the night before the great battle. And as usual, they were arguing and disputing and hated each other and didn't have any way to get along. Lord Trafalgar went to the door of the tent, held it back, and he said, Gentlemen, yonder is the flag. If you can't get along if you can't be at peace, if you can't work together as men, fight under the one flag. There's a lot of people that don't understand what is being said in Isaiah, the 11th chapter. In fact, we probably ought to go over and read that. Chris did, did a good job. Uh, In Isaiah, the 11th chapter, though, there's something more to what's being stated then we want to not allow to be overlooked. It starts off with a a great treatise. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now this rod was that which would be a male, and it would come from a Nazarene. 
because the word branch is the Hebrew word for Nazarene. And this branch, this Nazarene, shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his ears. But he'll judge with righteousness. He'll judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he'll smite the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their youngs shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And they'll not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now of all the years that I've been hearing the gospel preached, this is as far as the brethren would ever take us. And the reason they wouldn't go on has been a mystery to me. So this morning we're going to go to the next verse. Because we want to get to see what the end of the results would be. Look, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Jesus Christ came to this world. And when he came to this world, he came in the seed or in the lineage of David. David, of course, was the son of Jesse. Jesse, the greatest Hebrew scholar of his time and the greatest uh, person who many people claimed had never committed sin, would produce a son that would cause Israel to always show reverence when speaking of his name. But David and his ancestry had been promised by God to bring forth a Messiah this Messiah would have certain things that he could do that no other man in the world could ever do. He could be an ensign for the people. Now, a lot of times, people don't know what the word ensign means. An ensign is something that people can look at and rally around. It can be a standard that everyone follows. It can be something like a flag that we can fight under. It could be a symbol that all would recognize and uh, reserve any disagreements with in order to be in agreement with it. And this son of Jesse, this Jesus, the Savior, would be an ensign. Now, it's going to be an ensign for the Jew and the Gentile. In other words, whatever this is going to be, and we know it to be Jesus Christ, everyone could agree to. It would no longer be 
am I a Jew and couldn't trace my ancestry to Abraham, it would no longer be I am a Gentile and therefore have had nothing to do with the Jew and hate that middle wall of petition, which was the Ten Commandments, that separated and divided us and caused us to be bitter enemies. Or I am not a Babylonian. Or I am not an Egyptian. Or I am not a Chinaman. This ensign would cause everyone, both Jew and Gentile, of any pedigree, of any type, to be the only thing that everyone could live and fight and die in agreement to. And of course, his rest or the end of his battle would be glorious because what he could do is cause all to be one. Reading this, I thought, you know, that's one of the most phenomenal concepts I've ever heard of. Have you ever heard of anything that anybody, everybody, all people, don't matter background, doesn't matter history, doesn't matter education, doesn't matter this or that, that to which everybody can agree? We have in the religious world people today who claim to be Christians. They throw that word around like they do aspirin. Don't know if you know it or not, but in the 1920s, when the word aspirin came out, it was a specific, particular brand of product. Now it's related as a generic type because there are many types of aspirin. There's Bayer, there's St. Joseph, there's this, there's that. But they're all called the generic name aspirin, which when it began was a specific thing. That kind of reminds me of what they did with Christianity. When Christianity came into the world, it was a specific thing. Now you got all kind of brands. And none of them agree with each other. And everybody else says, well, it's going to be my way or not at all. Because I'm in my little camp and I got my own little ideas. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And we're not going to have anything to do with you because you don't agree with us. I'm going to write up four different denominations that exist in the world today that tell you that men can claim to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God but have not been gathered around that one ensign that would allow all of us to worship together. Can you imagine that Jesus' prayer could have been answered. In John 17, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the verse 21. Jesus was praying, speaking to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Unfortunately, there's some people who think he was there trying to chicken out and talking God out of dying. What a reprehensible, atheistic, heathenistic concept. But Jesus prays, Father... There's an ensign coming. There's something coming about that can cause all men everywhere in every station to agree. Whether you're Baptist, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, 
Muslim, whatever you are, can you imagine all of these people meeting in one place and at one time on the first day of every week to be with Christ? You say, well, you left out one. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm going to put it right over here. Church of Christ. Religion. Divided. Confused. Yet there is one thing that can cause all of these to agree. That's what the ensign is. That's our flagpole. That's our standard. That's our symbol. There's something, and this something, of course, is Christ, to which if all of us would agree and lay down all of our petty differences and follow Christ, we could all be one. Jesus didn't think it was a ridiculous idea. He said, Father, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now you have the Church of Christ, which has doctrines that the rest of the religious world doesn't follow. And since... I'm a part of the Church of Christ. I can start talking about it first. You know, my daddy always taught me to never wash your clothes in the public or to never tell family stories out in the open. Well, I'm going to tell some family stories about the Church of Christ this morning. We believe that you've got to be baptized to be saved. You say, well, that's not a family story. Everybody knows anything about the Church of Christ knows about that. Well, for the people that don't, I'm going to tell you what we believe. We please baptism saves. We partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. We do this because we have a right of heritage and an invitation from our Lord to commemorate our birth. You see, if you've not been born again, you wouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper. Because when you partake of the Lord's Supper, that is the proof of the fact that you have been born again. I mean, what would the bread and the cup mean to you if you've not been born again? It's just a flat tasteless wafer and some grape juice that I don't think anybody actually drinks as a regular drink like they do Cokes or Pepsis. Do you ever see anybody walking into 7-Eleven saying, hey, give me a cold grape juice, baby? Like they'll say, give me a cold one. I know what a cold one is and that ain't a Pepsi and a Coke. They've given that a new name. We believe as you're baptized to be saved and you partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week that unless you're a member of the Church of Christ, you cannot go to heaven. Now, somebody says that's pretty austere. Yeah, well, we might as well tell family secrets. I'm going to be blunt and honest with you. We do believe that. If you don't, you can go to another church of Christ that teaches that that's not true, and that's up to you. But here, we believe that. The Baptist church teaches that baptism does 
not save you. That it's an outward sign of an inward grace done to show the world that you've been saved. Now, I know that because I've got Hitchcock's manual of the Baptist church. And I've got four or five other manuals written by their authorities. And it tells you emphatically that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Well, you say there's a direct contradiction. Well, that's the reason you don't see the Church of Christ and the Baptist Church meeting in the same building. Somebody doesn't agree. The Baptist Church protects the Lord's Supper. Well, it's according to their faith and order, as they claim it. It can be the first Sunday of every month or what they call Easter and Christmas, two or three times a year. I know a lot of people who are members of the Baptist Church. And I've known some of them that's been there 15 years and never taken the Lord's Supper but twice. So they don't wear it out. And their budget's not set aside to buy a whole lot of grape juice and unleavened bread. So the fact of the point is they just don't agree. They also believe, and they won't tell you this, but they believe it, that if you're not a Baptist, you can't go to heaven. Now, they'll go around and say everybody can believe what they want to, and we all go go to heaven, and that's going to up there. Jesus is going to straighten it out. But they believe exactly what I'm telling you. That's what their scholars have taught. The Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic teaches that baptism saves you, but it has to be for an infant. And if you wait till you get older and are baptized, it has nothing to do with salvation. But as an infant, it saves you from inborn sin. Now, that's a new something that a lot of people don't know anything about. That means they believe that when a baby is born, it comes into this world a sinner. It's inherited the Adamic nature, they call it. Or it's the doctrine called hereditary total depravity. In this period or time, if a child dies before it is, it has water sprinkled on it by a Roman Catholic priest, it'll go to purgatory and then to hell. It'll be lost. They believe that you partake of the Lord's Supper, only they call it the Eucharist, if it's the Roman Catholic, and the Greek Orthodox call it something else, communion. They'll tell you that you've got to be about a third church or you can't go to heaven. Now, they may get to where that they'll say, well, you know, if you're not a Catholic and you're a believer, they may try to let on, but basically their doctrine is, "Uh uh-uh. You've got to be in a Roman Catholic church to go to heaven. They also teach in the Eucharist, they can partake of it, Every day, there is no particular day of the week that is demanded or commanded. They have what they call the Mass, and the word Mass comes from the Latin word, which means a re-crucifixion of Christ. They literally believe that they put Christ back on the cross every day and crucify him. In the observance of the mass. The Lutheran, the Lutheran believe 
that they can have to have infant baptism because of inborn sin. They believe that they partake of the Lord's Supper, but they don't call it that. Their Lord's Supper is a completely different kind than the Roman Catholic in that it is involved in only the members only. So we'll put that down, only members. And they are participants in it. Now the Muslims, they never heard of any of this unless you go back 200 years before their founder started them. And if you'll go back previous to the 3rd century A.D., you'll find out that all the Muslims were members of the Church of Christ. These are all going to eternity. They none of them agree. If you know anything about the Muslim religion, you'll know they're sworn to kill anybody that's not a believer in what they call Allah, which is the word God in their language. The Lutherans will kill you, but it almost cost the founder of Lutheranism, Martin Luther, his life in the 16th century. The Roman Catholics will kill you if they get in power and control. The Baptists, they're not too prone to kill you. And the Church of Christ cannot by the commandment that is taught in the Scriptures. You mean to tell me that all these can be one? Do you think Jesus Christ was whistling in the dark? Now, I could put up 500 more different denominations. And they're going to have things that are different about every one of them. But Jesus prays that you take all of these and fly them under the same ensign, get them to believe in the same Christ and they can all be one. That it wouldn't matter where you would go, in what country, or in what language. You would find everybody who is said to believe a believer in Christ, and they'd all teach the same thing, practice the same thing, follow the same rules and regulations, and observe the same things in worship. You don't believe that, do you? In your line of thought, history has proven to you that this can't be done. Man, imagine at the overwhelming crowds of people that would go to buildings which every church in the world could have if every church in the world could be under one ensign, one standard. One flag, if you appreciate that thought, or one symbol of authority. But we have one Bible. 
Why is it if we have one Bible, we could have the Church of Christ that claim to be believers? We have the Baptists that claim to be believers. We have the Roman Catholics that claim to be believers. We have the Lutheran that claim to be believers. We have the Muslims that claim to be, and all of them have claimed to be a believer in God. And yet none of them can get along. If the Church of Christ teaches that baptism saves you, the Baptists teach that it does it, the Roman Catholics teach you that it saves infants, the Lutheran saves the infants that way, and the Muslims don't practice any kind of baptism that I know about. They don't any of them get along. But we read a verse of Scripture. This is a prophecy. Go back again to Isaiah the 11th chapter. When this Messiah comes, when this Jesus comes to this world, when the root of Jesse, or the stem uh, that comes out of the stem of Jesse, when the rod that comes out, that would be called a branch, when he comes out of the seed of Jesse, then in that day that he comes, there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. All people will have one flag under which they can fly, one authority under which they can live. And the Gentile and the Jew and the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran and the Baptist and the Methodist and the Seventh-day I could listen, I'd run out of time if I listed all 650-some of them. All of them can believe in one ensign, one standard. So it's not that these people are not believers. You talk to people say, well, I'm a believer. Okay, what language do you use the word believe in? Well, they don't know what you're talking about. To them, in the English language, is a person who is a believer who's one who is kindly affectionate toward a God. But in the Greek language in which the Bible was written, this is a person who was obedient. You couldn't be said to be a believer unless you had obeyed or were obeying. If the obeying or the obeyed or those who had obeyed looked at this, they would not look at it in kind affection. They would be looking at a one who had sole authority to command. In other words, somebody's got to be the captain of the ship. You've been out on boats, haven't you? How many people do you usually have at the steering wheel? If you've got more than three or four, you've got problems. Because somebody's not going to want to go which way you want to go. We took a, a trip one time, and they put a new captain at the helm, they call it. And I'm not very good on these terms as far as the Navy's concerned. But he went to back in the ship to wherever he goes or whatever he did, and he wanted to back it in in a way differently than the other captain wanted to back it in, and they had problems. You got to have one captain 
You ever go down the road driving a car? In America, the steering wheel is on the left of the car as you look at it from the rear. In England, it's on the right. With the post office, it can be both sides. I used to get my wife one of these right-hand steering mechanisms to put on the right-hand side so she could sit on the right, deliver mail on the right, but the gas pedal and the brake would be on the left. We just took all that stuff and moved it over. What if you had two people in there trying to drive at the same time? You ride with your wife or your husband? Can you imagine what it would be like if you had two steering wheels, two gas pedals, and two brakes? Just two. Just add one more. What would you think about a car that had 656 gas pedals, brakes, and steering wheel trying to go down the road? In England, they drive on the right-hand side of the road. No, the left-hand side of the road. In America, we drive on the right-hand side of the road. That's kind of strange to me, but that's the way they do it. How they got backwards, I don't know. We should have taught them better, but anyway, we came up with a car first. Looked like we could have set up which side of the road to drive on. But anyway, here's all of these things. Now, you see, what I'm trying to do is show you that the prophecy talks about a single ensign. Jesus prayed that they all may be one. That these believers should have the same respect for the authority of this ensign. And it wouldn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. You could all, by being obedient to this commander and captain, be a part of one church. The drill goes something like this. Go to the church of Christ. What do you accept as authority? What is it you believe? Who is it that you take the word of? What book do you study? We're going to tell you emphatically. The Bible. The New Testament. Well, we know that, but they all say that. What other book do you have other than the Bible and the New Testament? None. That's the only book we got. Well, you boys must be a little dumb. You'd written your own. Well, maybe so, but maybe we was a little smart and believed that God did the first job right, and we can't improve on what he did, so we left it alone. Yeah, but all these countries that you exist in with all these different ideas and all these different social customs and mores and all, surely you can't believe that one religion fits the whole world. Well, we're not worried about the one religion. We're worried about the authority that we follow. I don't care if you're from Germany or Afghanistan or China or you're the chief of the Navajo Nation. You still just have one authority to follow. What does the Baptist take? Well, they say we believe in the Bible. But then we follow the manual. 
What's the manual? Well, this is our rules. I better spell it right. This is our rules. Yeah, that's it. This is our rules of what we believe. And in our manual, we start out. We believe. Well, wait a minute. If you are a believer in a sole authority, what's this we in your pocket? What are you talking about, we? Who cares what you think? Well, in the Baptist manual, it teaches you point blank. And I got a couple if you want to see one. That baptism has nothing to do with salvation. But the Bible that they're said to follow teaches that baptism saves. What happened? Well, whoever is a part of this denomination has a Bible and a manual that they go by. The Roman Catholic said to be believers. Why do they then teach that an infant needs to be sprinkled? And they've changed the amount of water. They went from immersion to water sprinkled on you. Now, if you go to the Greek Orthodox, they'll baptize you by immersion, the babies and the infants especially after the catechetical lectures have been through and they've been passed and approved and they can take their first communion, they'll baptize them by immersion. Well, where did they get the idea that they could change it from immersion to sprinkling? Well, they have what they call their doctrine written down. And it changes over the years. And it's beginning to start to change again. So whatever they believe in, a creed, I call it a catechism because that's what they call it, is fluid. That is, it changes from one place to the other, one year to another, one time to another. Do they have the Bible? Yeah, they have the Bible, but until about 10 or 15 years ago, their people couldn't read it. They have two types of sins, the venial and the mortal. And the one that was the most damning was the one that they, by reading the Bible, would commit. They had to listen to the priest, and he'd tell them what to believe. I go to talk to people in the Roman Catholic Church, and you go to look for a Bible, and they usually don't have one. They don't really have a need for it. They're not Bible toters, with disrespect, not intended. With all these different translations that the devil's allowed to be put out, they don't know which one to buy. First time I was teaching a friend of mine, he and his wife were both in that denomination. He said, will you get me a Bible? Well, man, he had 10 times more money than I did. I said, well, you got some money, buy your own. He looked at me seriously, and he said, but I don't know which one to buy. I answered him in a manner that was kind of cocky. Well, there's only one, but he was right. If I had been him and gone to the bookstore, and you got the New World Translation. Oh, that's Jehovah's Witness, sorry. 
They got the American standard. They got the new American standard. They got the standard. Of, they got the King James. They got the new King James. They got the Amplified. They got the, the man. You can get lost in buying all those books. Which one can I read? Never having been able to read the Bible, they don't know much about what the Bible says. They can't cite you a book, chapter, and verse because they just don't know. The Lutheran, I was in a debate with a Lutheran preacher one time in Ohio. And he came to the debate with his Lutheran catechism, and I came to the debate with my Bible. And so I started asking him questions about the Bible. And this has happened, so help me God, this is the truth. And I'd ask him to look up a verse of Scripture. And he couldn't find it. Finally, he got frustrated because he didn't bring a Bible with him, so I loaned him mine. He got frustrated and threw my Bible to him and he said, here, that's your book. If you want to read it, you look it up. I don't know where it is. People, how in the world can you have one standard, one captain, one ensign, be a believer, have one authority, and take all of the other books that are written thereby? The Muslim, I think you got that one pretty well wired, don't you? Oh, yeah, they believe that Jesus was Christ, but that he just wasn't the latest and the greatest prophet. Sounds to me like Seventh-day Adventist. They just call it a different name. They believe that all of that, they believe in there's one God, and they think Allah is that one God, and you've got to believe in him, or they'll kill you. What about them? All this sounds pretty good until you get to the last day of existence. And picture all of these religions going to stand before the God of the universe. You go before the God of the universe. Do you expect Jesus the Baptist to be there? Judging the world? Jesus the Roman Catholic? Jesus the Lutheran? Jesus the Muslim? Or Jesus the head of the Church of Christ? Now the Bible says he is the head of the body, the church, singular. And that in everything he has preeminence. Preeminence means sole authority. Like his mother said in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Everybody agrees with that, right? Do what Jesus said. But the Baptists say... They don't have to be baptized to be saved. But do you know what Jesus said? Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 16, 16. Jesus came to his disciples at the last meal. 
And afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him risen from the dead. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. What is it the Baptists teach about baptism? Not. Jesus said, he that believeth not. Now, the Roman Catholics don't ask the child if they are a believer because the child can't speak yet, usually. At eight days old or whenever they sprinkle them, they can't say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And it doesn't say, what language do you want me to say this in? Well, there is a universal tongue that babies speak. Have you ever known that? In a few minutes, one of ours is going to cry out. And I'll guarantee you, all of them are going to understand what it means. Now, mothers can read that language. Fathers can't. Whether it's a cry of pain, whether it's a cry of wanting to eat, whether it's a cry of just being a pest, whatever it is, they're going to understand that, right? But they have a universal language. How is it that you make the good confession in baby language? Well, Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I'll not confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And he opened his mouth and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, based on that fact, I'll now baptize you into Christ for the remission of sins. Romans, I mean, Acts the 8th chapter, about verse 35 and 6. They came to a certain water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What about the people that never baptize an adult? This infant don't get to vote. It can't confess. Explain to an infant what repentance is. My children are raising their children now, and they're trying to define repentance. Let's go stand in the corner for 10 minutes. Now, that child will understand. Go stand with your nose in the corner for 10 minutes. They never get there for 10 minutes, but that's all right. It's the idea. But if you tell them, go repent, you think the kid's going to head for the corner? They don't understand repentance. There's a whole lot of times that people don't understand repentance, therefore they don't know what it means. That means to purpose to do one authoritarian's rule, do what Jesus has commanded. Now you say, well, does the Church of Christ teach repentance? Sure. On the day of Pentecost, they said to Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look, the Baptists say you don't have to do that. Jesus said if you don't believe that, you're going to be damned. The Roman Catholics say it's for the inborn, or to get rid of inborn sin, which you didn't have to start with. So you're getting sprinkled for sins you never had anything to do with. An infant can't confess, it can't repent, it can't believe. The only thing it can do is cry when it gets wet and gets water thrown into its face. The Lutheran does the same thing with infant baptism. 
It has nothing to do with belief. It has nothing to do with understanding. It has nothing to do with the doctrine. It has nothing to do with accepting the soul authority. There's no wonder these people can't get along. They don't believe in the same standard of authority. It's not what I am, what you are. It's who we believe in. If we take Jesus, who the prophet said is our ensign, then the Jew and the Gentile, the Muslim, the Lutheran, the Roman Catholic, the Baptist, and the Church of Christ can all be one. It's no longer what I think. It's what God says. What I believe, it's what Jesus taught. What my mother, grandmother, aunts, aunts and uncle, uh, aunts and uncles, I tried to say aunts. I have trouble with aunts. Aunts and uncles believe it's what the apostles of Jesus Christ taught in the first century. In other words, we're not trying to play religion. We're trying for everybody to be under the ensign, under the flag the symbol of authority, the standard, the Bible. I have no fault with you if you come to America and want to be an American, but I do have a problem with people that come to America that don't want to be an American. God has no fault with people being a part of every religion that you can name that mankind has come up with. But Jesus is not going to be a Baptist when he's sitting on the throne of glory. He's not going to be a Roman Catholic because their rules and regulations violate what he commands. He's not going to be from Germany or be a Lutheran and he's not going to be a Muslim. There is one standard of authority to which we have to follow and agree. One insight. Now, let me read you this verse again, unless you think I lost my way. Go back to Isaiah, the 11th chapter. Isaiah 11. Now, this is written, and I went particularly to the Old Covenant this morning, so people wouldn't say, we just used the New Testament. I want to show it to you in the Old. Let me read this to you again. In that day. And if you'll read Old Testament scriptures, you'll know that day means at the day of Pentecost and thereafter. There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign. Folks, that means something that everybody can agree to. I don't understand these people being something kind of an American, a Lithuanian American, or a Native American American. I guess they don't have that kind. Uh, but something else. I don't understand this. Either are or you ain't where I was raised. But the point that I'm making here is what the scriptures say. In verse 10, there shall be in that day an ensign of the people to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. You do what he commands and you can have peace. Somebody will say, are you a Christian? Yeah, what kind? There ain't no kind, honey. It's not a generic, it's a specific. 
And the specificity is described by Jesus Christ as one who's been obedient to his commands. If you you love me, you will obey me. Keep my commandments. If you're a believer and my authority is that which you follow, then it don't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It only matters in whom you put your trust and confidence. I was preaching a sermon the other night, and I think it was here about a week or two ago. You know, people don't like the Holy Spirit. They don't believe he's God. And I understand why. He's the one who had the apostles write this book. I wouldn't like him either. He never signed on to write the Baptist manual. He never signed on to write the Roman Catechism or the Lutheran or the Muslim or whatever. The only book that the Holy Spirit ever signed on to write was the Bible, the Word of God. I wouldn't like him either. He doesn't write what I believe. Now, the question is, what am I going to do with the writings then of the Holy Spirit? What am I going to do with God? He's too big for me to fight. He's too powerful for me to whip. He's too much of a giant in the realm of mankind for me to withstand. So what am I going to do with him? The answer is obey him. That's all you can do. Jesus said in John 12 48, the words that I speak unto you, those words, the same shall judge you in that day. He didn't talk about the words of something else. He said the words that I speak, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. If Jesus said jump through a hole in the wall, I recommend you jump. But when Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he didn't say that to infants. But he did say that to Lutherans. He did say that to Presbyterians. He did say that to Baptists. He did say that to everybody who wants to be obedient to his commands. And that could be you and I. And then we lose our identity in Christ. We can all be one. Now tell me you can't sign on to that proposition. I can forget all this other stuff. Just believe in Christ. Just obey his commands. And it's his command that said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Not mine. Not the church of Christ. Now Jesus made this statement before the church of Christ came to the world. So you can't blame that on the church. You've got to blame that on the Lord. It's his words. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. We're going to stand and sing an invitation hymn. If you want to be obedient to Jesus Christ, not some denomination, not some manual, not catechisms, not prayer books, not any of these other things. If you want to be obedient to Jesus Christ, you can come as we stand and sing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We hope you have profited from today's study of In Search of the Mind of God. If you would like a recording of today's program, please visit our website, our podcasts on iTunes and Google Play, or even our YouTube channel. Remember, never take man's word. 
only God's Word, the Bible. Demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept on its belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast, In Search of the Mind of God, with graduated preacher Joe Wilson. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week. Yeah.